righty. Thank you so much, Brian, for reading out of Daniel chapter 2 for us. Um, the, the story begins this morning. Um, we're calling this sermon today, Witness in Exile, um, as we see Daniel being a witness to who God is, what is he doing in the midst of exile. And, and one of the things that I, I see about this story is, and I love about it, and we'll, we'll hit on it. I just want to give this to you up front so you can kind of see it unfold as we talk is that we were singing the songs after last service, and I saw something as, as Glenn was singing that last song. Daniel is not acting like a captive, is he? Daniel's acting like a free man. And the way we're going to see Daniel work in this passage, he is not acting like someone who's a prisoner in a foreign land. Daniel is acting as if he's as free in his own land. How is he able to do that? He is in a foreign land, away from his family, Daniel at this time is somewhere between 18 and 20 years old. And he's acting as if he is this free guy in a land of Babylonians, foreign gods, foreign kings, foreign language, foreign culture, and you would think the guy's at home. How is he able to do it? Great question. So glad you asked. Let's look at the text. All right. And so we look here in verse chapter 2, starting in verse 1 to verse 16. And we see that Nebuchadnezzar is troubled. Now, why is he troubled? And before we, we dive into this, I think there's a, there's a need that you see need to see a reason for why we need to study this passage. A hundred years ago, the church had a much different meaning and culture and society. Paul, you can relate to this, right? A hundred years ago, you, you would, yeah, so... Um, I'll just give Paul. Paul and I have this grief thing. Some people are like, do you guys hate each other? No, no, we just gave each other a really hard time. But a hundred years ago, the church had a different, different involvement in the society. People came to the church. If they were having marital problems, they came to the church. If they were having parenting problems, they came to the church. If they were having problems with their job and, and maybe doing, wondering what ethical things they should do in their job, they went to the church. The church was that center point in society where which most people would come and gather to to discuss and to figure out life's problems and life's issues. It was valued in that culture. It was valued in that society. How do you know? Guess what? Businesses were closed on Sundays. People weren't even supposed to drink on Sundays. Blue laws, right? And, and, and so you learn about these things and that the society, and as we move forward to current day, the church has lost that, that, that place in the society that we live in. How do we know that? Dwight gave a great example of how we know that um, when I was talking with him this morning. Dwight works for the state parks. He's getting ready to retire. He's the ranger over there at the state park by 21 Mile uh, Creek. And so Dwight went to a manager's meeting. And they, in this manager's meeting, they talked about the ethics about what they were supposed to and not supposed to talk about, like in the workplace, okay? So you're not supposed to talk about sex. You're not supposed to talk about politics. You're not supposed to talk about drugs or alcohol. You're not supposed to dip or chew or smoke within the buildings. And they're going through all these things. And you're like sitting there, you're like, really? We paid somebody to go to a training where they had to actually like learn these things, right? Because... Why in the world has our society reduced that we have to get training not to talk about those things in the workplace? Well, we've moved away from the church being that, that, that place where people understood what was ethical, what is moral. And now we've moved to a day and age that, that in order for our society to know how God in, is impacting those different areas of our lives, we have to individually carry that message into our community. 
You may have people and friends that have said to you, I'll never darken the door of a church. Anybody got friends that have said that to you? A few folks, right? I've got a few of them. And we know that the way that we're going to, they're going to need to see that the significance of or the reason for church is by your witness and your testimony. Daniel's going to give a great example this morning of what it is to be a witness and a testimony in a land that has no, zilch, zip, zero desire to know Yahweh. And to understand how God created them and the amazing life God has for them. None. And so Daniel is going to bear witness to that today. And God sets this up wonderfully. And we see this in verses 1 through 16. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Any of y'all ever have a dream or a recurring dream that just bothers you? Maybe you lose some sleep over it. And you wake up in the morning and you're a little cranky with the kids. And, and, and you know, mom precedes you out the door saying, you know, uh, dad's in a bad mood. He lost some sleep again, right? Well, when Nebuchadnezzar has a bad dream, you've heard the saying, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. Well, when Nebuchadnezzar's not happy, when the king's not happy, people die. Okay? People die. So the king loses some sleep over this dream. And the way the text reads, it could have been a repetitive dream that he'd had over and over again. And he comes out to his wise men, and he comes out to his vision interpreters. He comes out to the most intelligent people in the land, and he says to them, I want you to not only tell me the meaning of my dream, but I want you to tell me the dream itself. Now, now that raised the bar a little bit, okay, telling the meaning of the dream. Most of them would have come up with something, as long as it wasn't too offensive to the king because they liked their head about the neck, okay? So they're going to be smart about what they tell the king. And the king knows this. If you read through this passage, you see that the king says, I know you guys have lied to me. You know, I know that there's been lies and there's been deceit. I don't want that. And so to keep you from lying and deceiving, you're going to have to tell me what I dreamed. Now, what's very interesting is these folks begin to tell him that there is no human being on the planet that can ever tell you what your dream was. And you know what? They're right. They get this much right. But it's very interesting what they say next here. He says to them, therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time. Let the king tell servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know that with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. And you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall, and you, I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on the earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing, or any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, this is a very interesting statement. Because they have just made the statement, only the gods could reveal to us your dream. But they don't care about human matters. The, I, I gotta love this. They confess the foreign gods do not concern themselves with human matters. They do not dwell amongst the flesh. Now put that in contrast to what Daniel's about ready to say. And what Daniel's about ready to do. The foreign gods do not care what's going on. Now we know that there are no, the reason they're saying this is because there are no gods, right? Other than the one true God. And so they make this statement, 
These gods aren't concerned with what's going on here, so they're not going to reveal this to us. You're basically signing our death certificate. Well, Ariok, king's captain, goes out, and he goes and finds Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also known as Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And he tells them the decree of the king. Now, what I love about this part in verse 16, or verse, starting in verse 14, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. Now, we learned back in Daniel chapter 1 that God had given Daniel the ability to interpret visions and dreams. But Daniel does not, just like the rest of the wise men, have the ability to interpret a dream that he doesn't know the dream. But because Daniel knows something about God. You see, Daniel knows the God of the Bible. And Daniel knows that God is involved with his people that God is orchestrating events and God is using things to bring himself glory and for the good of the nation of Israel and for the good of all nations. That God is involved. And Daniel knows this with such confidence. Now you want to talk about bravery and courage? He knows this beyond a shadow of a doubt. And how do we know this? Because he goes to the king, he says to the king, well, tell you what, Arioch, make an appointment with the king. But I have... I have no idea what the dream is. Just make me an appointment, and at that point in time, I will appear before the king. Now, isn't that crazy? How many of you would do that, right? You go to your boss, your employer, you're like, we've got this huge business crisis in our, in our business, and um, we're going to go bankrupt if somebody doesn't come up with an idea, and you raise your hand and say, you know what? I got the answer. Give me a day, and, and, and I'll have the answer for you. And you have no clue. You, in fact, you don't even have the, you don't even know, this is what would be crazy, you don't even know what the finances are. You don't even know the business plan. You don't even know what the projected budget is and what the projected income is. You don't know any of that, but you're telling the, your owner, your boss, I'm going to have a decision for you in a day. Well, what's even crazier is that if Daniel gets this wrong, he dies. And not just Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and all the other wise men in the kingdom of Babylon. How is Daniel able to act with such courage and light of such an impossible task? Well, Daniel knows the identity of who God is. One thing that we're doing right now that's a little bit different that I've told you about is that we're giving you guys some questions online that you can get in together with small groups with and, and begin to go through them together. Um, they get posted with the sermon, so they're on our website, lfcshaland.org, underneath messages, and you can download the questions. And that pre-portion or that first portion of what you're supposed to do before you get together with, with other people, you're supposed to study the passage and ask the passage four questions. The first question you're supposed to ask is, who is God? Have you ever thought about that? We talk about this book being the revelation of God to us. This is God revealing himself to us. So it makes sense that when we approach this, 
that the first question out of our mind should be, who's God? How is he revealing himself right now? Because when I read this, I'm supposed to know him more, be in love with him more. So we ask the text, who's God? And the next thing we ask is, what is he doing? The third question we ask, well, in light of who God is, who am I? Because we're made in God's image. And to be pursuers of God, that means that we want to be more like God. We want to be drawn closer to God, be closer in our identity to who God is. So we want our identity to be in line with God's identity. And then the fourth question we ask is, what are we supposed to be doing in light of who God is and what he's doing? Now, how many of y'all have heard that before? Maybe I've talked about it before. A few folks. I'm telling you what, it's, it's, you might think, well, that's too simple of a Bible study method. Actually, it will provide such incredible deep insight into scriptures and will radically change your heart. But this is what Daniel is doing right here. Daniel knows who's God. God is the one that's involved. What is he doing? He's giving Nebuchadnezzar a dream. He's causing Nebuchadnezzar to lose sleep. In fact, he's got Nebuchadnezzar all worked up. He also knows that God gave him the gift and the ability to interpret dreams. And so who's Daniel? Daniel's this guy that can interpret dreams. He has this ability that God has given him, and Daniel's identity is in God. He is an Israelite. He he is to be the one that proclaims the name of God. And so what does he do? He stands up in front of this Ariot guy and says, give me an appointment with the king. I'll be there, and I'll interpret the dream, even though I don't want to know what it is right now. Now, brothers and sisters, Daniel's not doing this in front of his employer. Daniel's doing this in front of the most powerful man in all of the world at that day. In my teens, he is 18 to 20 years old. Hear that, please. Why? How is he able to do this? Because he knows who God is and what God is doing. I think about this for us because, you know, God is continuing to be involved today. God is continuing to give gifts to his people today to be used for his glory and for our benefit. And oftentimes when we start talking about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, we we think about preaching, we think about teaching, we think about prophecy, we think about evangelism. We think about those those big ones. They're like, man, maybe I don't have some of those. But some of the things that we don't think about very often are like the gift of hospitality. The gift of being able to bring somebody into your home and making them feel welcome with what you have. And maybe some of you are here this morning and you're like, you know, we live in a pretty affluent valley. And maybe you feel like, man, I don't have a whole lot in my home. I don't have a really nice dining table. I don't have granite countertops. I don't have those kind of things. And you're fearful to use this gift of hospitality that God has given you. And God's saying, wait a minute. Who am I? Well, you're the one that's involved, and you're bringing us into relationship with other people, and I'm the one that's giving you these gifts. So guess what? Be strong and courageous in the Lord and invite people into your home, and God is going to take care of your fears, your anxiety. I think of also sometimes even the gift of creativity. You've heard me talk about the arts. You've heard me talk about My desire, I'm not an artist myself, but I sure appreciate that gift in other people. But sometimes people get afraid 
of what other people might think of them or, or what they've done is not good enough. And, and so they won't share that. They won't express that. They won't worship God through that creativity that he has given them. Well, who's God? God is the creator, the designer of the universe, and he gives you the ability to express that the worship of his creativity through that. Use it for his glory and do not be afraid because it's worship unto him. Also think of the gift of just being present. I think we undersell that gift quite a bit. The gift of being in that right place at that right moment where somebody's hurting and somebody's broken. Somebody's world has been shattered and you're there to put your arm around, to hug, encourage, and not say a word. But sometimes we run. Sometimes we run for those moments because we're afraid that what we're bringing to the table at that moment won't be good enough. We'll just do more damage than good. I'll say something stupid. And instead of us being reliant on the one who gives us the gift to be present at that moment and love on the people we need to be present with. See, God is still involved. And, and I want you to understand something. God can bring Christ, God brings crisis moments into people's lives so that his people can put the power and the might and the love of God on display for others to see. God is involved. God is involved in messing with Nebuchadnezzar here so that Daniel might stand up and show the power of the one true God. The next thing that we see here in this passage is that God is in control. Starting in verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told to seek them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And I want to pause right here. Daniel lives out the truth that God is in control. How? By hitting his knees in prayer with his community of believers. I love that part. He seeks out Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he says, I may have gotten us in a bit of a situation. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, he goes to Hananiah, I mean, and they're going, you don't know the dream? But they don't panic. Why? Their identity is in the God who is in control. They know God has the ability to give them the same dream that they gave, he gave Nebuchadnezzar. God's in control. God's got this. So they hit their knees in prayer together, expecting God to answer, and he does. God powerfully shows up and brings them. Now, I want to ask you a question here for a moment. God comes through in a big way. But what if, it, what if he didn't? What if he didn't reveal the dream? You know, there, there's a powerful statement made by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they get tossed in the fiery furnace. And maybe you remember this and maybe you don't, but we're going to cover it here in a few weeks. They make the statement, whether our God delivers us or not, blessed be the name of God. You see, they understood that whether they perished or they lived, it was for the glory of God. Why? Because God is involved. God 
is in control, and his will is always for the good of him and the good of us. Those got me through some very hard days in Iraq. When you're watching soldiers die around you, that truth is something you just cling to. Then the mystery was revealed in Daniel to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel blessed God of heaven, and Daniel answered, saying, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings, and he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells within him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. What is so beautiful about this is Daniel and his friends are sitting here praising God for who God is and how he has answered with the scriptures out of Isaiah and out of Psalms. Verse 24, then therefore Daniel went into Arioch, when the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went to say thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Balthashazar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? underlying Daniel's answer here. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. Daniel's including himself in that category. No man can reveal this to you. You have asked a thing that nobody can deliver, king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I almost wish you could circle that and run a line back over to what the Chaldeans said about their God over here and say, who's the one true God? See, God is involved with his people, and God is revealing things to his people. And God's name will be praised amongst his people. And God, God definitely cares about the things, the everyday workings of what's going on in this world as he actively engages them. But there is a God in heaven who reveals all mysteries. Daniel responds with great confidence in the God who is in control. I want to ask you a question in regards to this. Where do you turn to first when you are faced with crisis? When you're faced with hardship? When your heart begins to get anxious or fearful, where do you turn to first? How many of y'all are familiar with the Caring Bridge website? Quite a few. A great website. Opportunity for to get to know. It's kind of like a blog website where people can blog about you know, physical ailment that they're going through and keep people informed without answering 25 different emails or text messages. And they just use this as an opportunity. And 
I wonder, and I, I was beginning to think about this, that when you read something like that on Caring Bridge, that somebody's health is deteriorating, what, what is the first reaction to that? Is it to become fearful? Is it to become anxious? Is it to say, is it to just, oh, I've got to reply to this. They need to know that I'm here for them. They know without even a thought to turn to God and get on your knees before God in prayer and to have other believers join with you in praying, I, need, I want to respond, but I want to respond in a way that lifts them up and encourages them and points them towards God. Would you pray with me about this situation? What is our first reaction? I also think about our prayer chain. If you're not on our prayer chain, you can get a hold of Tammy, and she can put you on the prayer chain and receive prayers from the cis church body. But you notice it's called the prayer chain, not the panic chain. Our what we desire from this church body is that when you receive an email or a text message about something to pray for, you do exactly that. You go before the Lord in prayer. And our job is not with the prayer chain to gang up on God. Like, if we get, oh, well, we only get 100 people praying. We need to get, if we can get 5,000 people praying, then, then, we'll, then we'll convince God to change his mind. That's not, that's not what this is about. Because prayer often does, changes our hearts and our minds more then it changes God. And when we as a united body of believers are praying for someone, God can work in that way and in that moment to reveal to us what he is going to do and for us to be there the way we should be. What about ask Alexa? Ask Siri. I joke about it, but last week I hit on it, my own personal distraction with those flash things that come across the screen on my computer and my heart getting pulled away from where it's supposed to be. Brothers and sisters, the gift of prayer is such a wonderful gift to be able to communicate with God, share our hearts with him, and to hear from him. Where do you go first? The last piece of this passage that we're going to see, God reveals that he is king. Daniel 28b, 228b, he says, and he was, has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar and what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he reveals mysteries made known to you and what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So what did he see? You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. So he saw this image, this, this mighty and powerful image, this big, tall statue, if you will. And the top of the statue was, was made of gold, okay? Beautiful, shining gold. And then the head of the image was fine gold, and its chest and arms were of silver, and the middle and thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, we have any sculptors in here? No, no sculptors? This is a bad idea to wake and make a statue, okay? So you got all this weight, and everything's heavy, and it's really solid, and all of a sudden you come down to these... This, this idea of these feet made with clay and iron mixed together, which they really don't mix well together. It makes a really brittle base to a statue. 
And what's very interesting is, as we look at this statue, this statue caused some grief to Nebuchadnezzar, and he's, this is one of the reasons that he's upset and losing some sleep. And then Daniel goes on to tell them, well, the rest of your dream is this. You see this image, and all of a sudden there's this rock that is, that is cut out, not by human hands. And this rock comes flying in, and it smashes the feet of this image. But it just doesn't knock the thing over. When the thing falls over, it is ground to such a fine dust that is, it, dust goes up. And like the chaff that is like, if you ever like saw people breaking and uh, beating wheat, and the chaff rises up and the wind blows it away, it's going to be so fine that that, that that statue, those particles of the statue are going to blow away. It's going to be as if that statue never existed. And this rock is going to turn into a mountain and stay forever, never, ever to be overthrown. What is the meaning behind this? Now, you want to talk about some courage? At this point, Daniel may have thought to pause. He knows what this means. He knows that the head of gold is Babylon. But look what he says here. Daniel is so heroic because he knows God is king. He knows that God establishes kingdoms and God tears down kingdoms. And brothers and sisters, in this day and age we live in, I think we need to hear that right now. God establishes kingdoms and he tears them down. Our focus is not on who's king, who's doing what. Our focus is on God and what he is doing. And guess what? America's clock already had an end date before the Declaration of Independence was signed. He establishes kingdoms and he tears them down. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What he says to Nebuchadnezzar could be very infuriating because what he says here is that, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom's going to fail. Verse 36, and this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the Lord, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Notice that. Underline that. How is Nebuchadnezzar king? God allowed it. God established it. Nebuchadnezzar, you wouldn't be king without my God. So you're not all that. My God puts you into power. You, O king, king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. All that you have, even the birds that are underneath your command, God gave you to be. Because guess what? If God didn't want those birds underneath your command, they wouldn't be there. You own nothing, king. You get to take credit for nothing. For God is king. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. What? So a kingdom that is not as strong as the Babylonian kingdom, kings that are not as smart as the Babylonian king, are going to come over and take over the Babylonian kingdom. At this point, if you're Nebuchadnezzar, you're maybe a little bit edgy. But I think he's just really excited. He can sleep now at night, sort of. And Daniel's sitting there going, is this guy going to take my life? And another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. 
And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this, and the dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, and he paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Daniel understands that God is king. And because Daniel understands and lives in light of the identity, he is literally walking into the king's court in light of the, his identity in the God who is king. He is literally opening his mouth to give interpretation to the most powerful man on the earth that God is king and God will destroy your kingdom and set up another kingdom and destroy that kingdom and set up another kingdom and destroy that kingdom and set up another kingdom until he is ready to put his kingdom on the earth in which there will be no end to it. Daniel is living in light of his identity and the one true God and that God is involved. God is in control. God is king. Did you know that we are kind of like Daniel in a bit of a way? That you and I possess the ability to see what's going on in our current world and bring the truth of God, the identity of God to bear in so many different situations and inform them of what is truth, what is right, what is pure, what is holy, what is just. Some of these things, you may be like, well, give us an example How many of you all have sat around with dinner with friends around a table and you got a mixture of, of, of people who are believers and not yet believers or maybe even believers who are newer to the faith and, and growing in their faith and all of a sudden things turn to, to politics and, and all of a sudden you become a little bit uneasy, right? Because we're, we're, you know, we, we're going to be nice and compassionate to others, not really dive into that conversation a whole lot. But then all of a sudden it takes a right-hand turn or excuse me, maybe even a left-hand turn and goes down a road that you weren't expecting it to go at all. And all of a sudden somebody brings up this right-to-life, right-to-choice issue. What do we do? Do we go silent? Do we become afraid of the, the person that sits in front of us because we're afraid that if we say what's in our hearts, if we say the beauty of the scriptures, that they may not be our friends anymore? Or What do we do? You see, God is involved. Do you think that conversation happened by just random chance? 
No. God doesn't do that. He brought that conversation to a head at that moment for a reason. God is in control. He has given you the scriptures so that you might understand who he is and begin to speak lovingly, compassionately, kindly into that moment because we know who God is. God is in control. And we know that God is king. That no matter what happens out of that conversation, that no matter what happens at the end of that night where they were like, oh, yes, I believe in what you believe, or not, that God is king and he is going to bring things to the fulfillment of his glory and our good. Do we believe that? Because if we do, we're going to be like Daniel who stands in front of the king and says, your kingdom's going to end. Why? I think we struggle with understanding our identity in God. Because when we are fearful to engage in that conversation, I would challenge that we don't know God as creator. We don't understand that God as creator molded us, shaped us in his image. And that life is precious and treasured. Not because of what it might accomplish during the days. I hear, well, they could be a president. They could be, you know, you know governor. They could be a, a professional athlete. It doesn't matter what they could be. It matters who they are. They are made by God for God's glory. There's another issue that seems to be taking the forefront that I know a lot of our medical people are dealing with. And the way it's been phrased lately is, is almost as if we're trying to romanticize it. And it breaks my heart to hear such language, death with dignity. Suicide is not romantic. Assisted suicide is not romantic. Again, we go back to this idea and this understanding, who are we? And God made death with dignity. Pain and suffering are part of this life, and we're scared to enter into those conversations as Christians to talk about pain and suffering because we feel like somehow in this world we're not supposed to experience that. But it's our identification in Jesus Christ. And that when God calls us home, he takes us home. But until that time, even in our final breath and even in unconscious moments, God can work his glory and his, his plan out. But when we step in, we take that place of God. And our identity is no longer in the king and the Lord who's involved. You don't think God loves that person who's dying that way? You don't know God if you don't think that. He's involved in those moments, those last moments. He's in control. He orchestrated those moments so that you could be present and you could speak the truth of God lovingly, compassionately, caringly in those moments. And that he's king. And he will justly and rightly rule in that situation. I want to leave you with a final story. In regards to a modern day example of some folks who as a community powerfully lived out the truth that God is involved God is in control, and God is king. 
on October 2nd, 2006, Charles Carl Roberts IV backed a pickup truck to the front of the Amish schoolhouse and entered the schoolhouse at approximately 10.25 a.m. Shortly after, the children had returned from recess. He asked the teacher, Emma May Zook, and the students if they had seen a missing clevis pin in the road. The survivor said that Roberts was mumbling his words and was not making direct eye contact. And after the occupants of the classroom denied seeing a clevis pin, Roberts walked out to his truck and reappeared in the classroom holding a handgun. He ordered the boys to help him carry in items into the classroom from the back of his pickup. Zook and her mother, who was visiting the schoolhouse, took this opportunity to escape the school and ran toward a nearby farm to get help. Robert saw them leave and ordered one of the boys to stop them, threatening to shoot everyone if the woman got away. Zook and her mother reached the farm where they asked Amos Smoker to call 911. In the meantime, he ordered the girls to line up against the chalkboard. and allowed a pregnant woman, three parents with infants, and all remaining boys to exit the building. At approximately 11.07, Robert began to shooting the victims. State troopers immediately approached, and as the first trooper in line reached a window, he, the shooting abruptly stopped. Roberts had committed suicide. During the shooting, he fired at least 13 rounds from his pistol. After the police entered the schoolhouse, all the wounded girls were taken to hospitals. Two had died at the schoolhouse. One was pronounced dead on arrival at Lancaster General Hospital. Two sisters survived until the early hours of October 3rd when they were taken off life support. Reports stated that most of the girls were shot execution style in the back of the head. On the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning some young relatives not to hate the killer, saying, we must not think evil of this man. Another Amish father noted he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. Jack Meyer, a member of the Brethren community living near the Amish in Lancaster County, explained, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. A Roberts family spokesman said an Amish neighbor comforted the Roberts families hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, parents, and parents-in-law. One Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms, reportedly for as long as an hour to comfort him. The Amish have also set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. About 30 members of the Amish community attended Robert's funeral. And Maria Roberts, the widow of the killer, was one of the few outsiders invited to the funeral of one of the victims. 
Maria Roberts wrote in an open letter to her Amish neighbors, thanking them for their forgiveness, grace, and mercy. She wrote, your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we are so desperately in need. Gifts you have given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our families, beyond our community, and is changing our world. And for this, we sincerely thank you. Some commentators criticize the quick and complete forgiveness with which the Amish responded, arguing that forgiveness is inappropriate when no remorse has been expressed and that such an attitude runs the risk of denying the existence of evil while others were supportive. Donald Craybill and two other scholars of the Amish life noted that letting go of grudges is a deeply rooted value in the Amish culture, which remembers forgiving martyrs like Dirk Williams and Jesus himself. They explained that Amish, the Amish willingness to forego vengeance does not undo the tragedy or pardon the wrong, but rather constitutes a first step toward a future that is more hopeful. community who believe that God is involved, that God is in control, and that God is king, has profoundly impacted your hearts and lives this morning and mine and our whole country. Could you imagine if this community, Living Stones Church, began to Live the fact that God is involved, God is in control, and God is king of it. And the everyday things of our lives. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for your love that you so lavish upon us, for revealing yourself to us, that we might live not fearful and anxious lives, but lives in light of the fact, the truth, that you are involved and in control and our King, Lord God, you are good, and you are great, and you are glorious, and you are gracious. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would so powerfully move this morning and reveal to us where we are not living in light of those truths. Where we're trying to take control, where we're trying to manipulate, where we're trying to establish ourselves as king or replace God with something else as king. And Lord God, may we confess to one another, to you, our failure to live in light of who you are. And may we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the incredible grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, begin the, the moments anew striving to live in light of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.